Okay. The meeting will come to order. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Monday, February 13th, 2023 meeting of the Rules Committee of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. I'm Supervisor Matt Dorsey. I am joined today by my colleagues, Vice Chair Shimon Walton, and uh, we're waiting on uh, committee member Asha Safai. Um, thanks so much to our committee uh, clerk. I'm here. Oh. I'm here online. Oh, okay. Then joining us remotely is uh, our committee member, Asha Safai. Um, thanks so much to our committee clerk, Mr. Victor Young. I want to say thanks also to Kalina Mendoza at uh, SFGov TV for staffing today's meeting. Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcements? Uh, yes, the Board of Supervisors and its committee are now convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment while still providing remote access and public comment via telephone. The Board recognizes that equitable public access is essential and will be taking public comment as follows. First, public comment will be taken on each item on this agenda. Those attending in person will be allowed to speak first, and then we will talk on those who are waiting on the telephone, take those who are waiting on the telephone line. For those watching either channel 26, 28, 78, or 99 and sfgovtv.org, the public comment call in line is streaming across the screen. The number is 415-655-0001. Then enter the meeting ID of 2482-271-4832, then press pound and pound again. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you'll be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up and public comment is called, those joining us in person should line up to speak, and those on the telephone line should dial star three to be added to the speaker line. If you are on the telephone, please remember to turn down your television and or other listening devices. As already indicated, we will take public comment from those attending in person first. Then we will go to public comment, uh, comment telephone line. Alternatively, you may, mail, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following ways. Email them to myself, the Rules Committee Clerk at victor.young at sfgov.org. If you submit comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors and included as part of the file. You may also send your written comment via U.S. mail to our office at City Hall, 1 Dr. Carlton P. Goodlett Place, room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. That uh, concludes my initial comments. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Will you please call items one through three? Yes. Item number one is a hearing to consider appointing one member term ending September 2nd, 2024 to the Assessment and Appeals Board number one. Item number two is a hearing to consider appointing one member term ending September 4th, 2023, three members term ending to September 2nd, 2024 to the Assessment and Appeals Board number two. Item number three is a hearing to consider appointing one member term ending September 4th, 2023, three members terms ending September 2nd, 2024, and one member term ending September 1st, 2025 to Assessment Appeals Board number three. And I would just like to note regarding Assessment Appeals Board number one, uh, there was a clerical error on the vacancy notice. So I believe after hearing from that applicant, we may need to continue that matter. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Um, yeah, so as uh, the clerk mentioned, there was a clerical error, but that doesn't mean that we can't um, hear from Ms. Mitchell, who will be joining us in person today, I believe. Um, is Ms. Mrs. Mitchell here? Okay. Ms. Mitchell, the floor is yours. Um, my name is Karina Mitchell. I'm a real estate appraiser, and I'm applying for the Assessment Appeals Board number one. 
I'm a licensed appraiser in the state of California and I'm an MAI designated member of the Appraisal Institute. I've been appraising in the Bay Area for over, for a total of eight years. I began my career in Los Angeles with McKenna Valuation. In 2015, I moved to the Bay Area and began to work at Integra Realty Resources. In 2019, Integra was acquired by BBG. I'm currently a director at BBG. Uh, I provide valuation and consulting services to the entire Bay Area, including San Francisco. My experience includes valuation and analysis of commercial real estate, including multifamily, retail, industrial, office, mixed use, development land, and specialized property types. Um, I've, <clears throat> I've attended two assessment appeals board hearings in the last month as an observer. I'm looking to obtain experience in the live hearing process and to contribute and grow my knowledge of valuation and the local market. Thank you for this opportunity to share my experience and qualifications with you today. Thank you, Ms. Mitchell. And um, also item number two is uh, Assessment Appeals Board appointment of Stephen Wasserman. Mr. Wasserman, the floor is yours. Hi, and thank you uh, for having me. Uh, I've been in real estate since the mid-90s here in San Francisco uh, as a commercial real estate broker. I currently run now my own investment and management firm. I've been on the Assessment Appeals Board twice before in the past and really enjoy the work. Uh, also, I have to always mention how great actually in profession I think the actual assessors are. As you can imagine, this can be a very contentious uh, situation when it gets to the Appeals Board. The assessors have always been very professional, very uh, uh, respectful of the taxpayer. Uh, my experience goes much like uh, the previous uh, person who's here, uh, goes into valuation of property, uh, both across all asset types. And again, I've been doing it for almost 30 years. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Wasserman. And item number three is the appointment of uh, Betsy Miller. I don't know if Betsy Miller is here remotely or? Uh, she is remote. Okay. Ms. Miller? Okay. Um, good morning. I can't tell whether or not you can see me on this, but my name's Betsy Miller, um, and I wanted to say, first of all, thanks for considering my application. My qualifications are a little bit different than the other two candidates. Um, I've been an attorney. I graduated from USF in 2008, and I've been a practicing attorney since that time. Um, I started off working in IP and more corporate law and large litigation. And then in 2014, I started my own firm, and I've been working for myself since then. My practice area is um, I do transactional and litigation work, um, mostly focusing on housing issues and tenant issues. And I have handled a number of real estate transactions and um, lawsuits related to real estate. Um, so I've been on the other side of the uh, the, the process where you're filing the paperwork. I have not participated in an appeals board hearing, but um, through this job, I hope to gain more experience in that area and learn more about that part of the law. Um, and also, it's a nice opportunity to serve your community by serving on a board like this. Uh, just personally, my mom's a local politician where I grew up on the East Coast. And um, it's just really important that the local government has um, qualified people um, working in the process. 
so that uh, you can maintain a sense of fairness and balance because as Mr. Wasserman said, it does get contentious and I realize that it's really personal. So I hope that I can um, maintain the integrity in the system by acting as a board member. And um, that's all I have to say. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Ms. Miller. Thank you, Ms. Miller. And, um, and um, seeing no one on the roster for to uh, discuss this, let's open it up to public comment. Yes, members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this on these matters may line up to speak at this time. If you are joining us remotely, please call the public comment line at 415-655-0001. The meeting ID is 2482-271-4832, then press pound and pound again. Once connected, you will need to press star three to enter the speaker line. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the we take public comment on this item and when you, <clears throat> excuse me, when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that would be your cue to begin your comment. Uh, we're just, there's no one in the room for public comment at this time. Just checking our telephone line to see if there's anybody. Uh, there's nobody on the telephone line for public comment on the, these matters. Great, thank you, Mr. Clerk. Um, I just want to express my gratitude to everybody. I reviewed all the uh, applications and everybody looks very well qualified. And um, I would say to um, Ms. Miller, as somebody who I have worked for many years uh, with lawyers, um, you know, the, uh, the way that the, uh, this is written, it, it does provide for, um, it is relevant to being an attorney. And I think attorneys um, bring a sense of um, understanding of, the, of a quasi-judicial and judicial process. So I think we will be well served by your service. And I just want to express my gratitude for um, the folks who are, who are uh, doing this. Colleagues, with, if anything to add? Okay. Um, I'd like to make a motion on item one um, that will, because of the, uh, so we can have the noticing error to um, call this back, to continue this for the, uh, to the February 27th meeting to allow for proper noticing. Yes, on that motion. Supervisor Safai. Uh, Safai, aye. Vice Chair Walton. Aye. Walton, aye. Chair Dorsey. Aye. Dorsey, aye. The motion to continue is approved without objection. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. And on item number two and three, I'd like to make a motion to um, send this to the full board with positive recommendations in both cases. Uh, yes, uh, usually we do pick a seat for each person. Oh, I believe that uh, Mr. Washerman would be for seat five. And for Betsy Miller, I don't believe it makes a difference which seat as they both have the same term expiration date. So would you like to use seat two? Yes. Yes, thank you. On the motion to recommend. Supervisor Safai. Safai, aye. Vice Chair Walton. Walton, aye. Chair Dorsey. Dorsey, aye. The motion passes without objection. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Um, the applicants will be uh, sent to the full board for with positive recommendation. Uh, Mr. Clerk, would you please call item number four? Yes, item number four is the ordinance amending the administrative code to extend the time for the reinvestment working group to submit required reports to the Board of Supervisors and the Local Agency Formation Commission 
from the current one-year deadline to September 30th, 2023, and to extend the sunset date for the working group to December 31st, 2023. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, Supervisor Dean Preston is the sponsor of this item, and he is joining us today, so I'd like to invite him to say a few words about this item. Supervisor Preston, the floor is yours. Thank you so much, Chair Dorsey and, uh, and committee members, and very much appreciate uh, you getting this uh, on calendar and making space uh, for this. And uh, we are very excited with uh, some of the news that I'll let uh, the, the presenters uh, bring you up to speed on, on the progress on a public bank. The, the ordinance here is simply to extend the timeline for the working group to continue and, and finish um, its work, but I, I think it's also a great opportunity um, for the committee to, to hear wh what is uh, what uh, some of the recent developments are. I do want to start by really just recognizing some folks who have been doing a lot of heavy lifting around moving our city toward having uh, a municipal public bank, um, and and specifically uh, Kristen Evans, the chair of the reinvestment working group, uh, who's here today and will be presenting, uh, vice chair Fernando Marti, um, and all of the members of the reinvestment working group who have been doing really incredible work. I uh, also want to recognize and thank uh, Jeremy Pollock, the executive officer of LAFCO, uh, Khalid uh, Samurai, the policy analyst uh, to the reinvestment working group, the entire San Francisco Public Bank Coalition for their ongoing support and advocacy, um, and, and all the individuals who have pushed uh, all of us on the board and in different uh, parts of city government to move forward toward a public bank. Um, also want to uh, acknowledge the really exemplary work that's been done by HRNA um, advisors um, who have prepared the, the draft plan that you'll be hearing about. Um, they are the consultants who've been working really closely uh, with uh, LAFCO and the Reinvestment Working Group. Um, and, and lastly, I wanted to thank my legislative aide, Preston Kilgore, who has um, worked tirelessly on this, led, up our, led our work uh, in the District 5 office on this. And so the, the ordinance that's before you would extend the uh, Reinvestment Working Group's sunset date and their deadline to produce uh, the business and governance reports for the Board of Supervisors uh, and LAFCO, and it would extend the current one-year deadline to September 30th and extend the sunset date for the working group uh, to the end of this calendar year. Um, colleagues, there, there were some uh, delays in getting the reinvestment working group seated initially, um, hiring the process of hiring a consultant, working with the city attorney's office. Uh, they had to contract out uh, for some uh, external uh, legal advice to support the reinvestment working group. Um, and so we are uh, a little bit behind schedule, uh, and that's why this, this uh, ordinance was uh, necessary. The Board of Supervisors unanimously passed uh, the ordinance authorizing the reinvestment working group in 2021. The members were seated in early 2022 and tasked with studying public banking and submitting to the Board of Supervisors and to the San Francisco Local Agency Formation Commission, LAFCO, uh, business and governance plans to establish uh, a non-depository lending corporation and public bank, um, both wholly owned by the city. So I'm very, very pleased to announce um, that as of Friday, the reinvestment working group received their first draft business and governance plan working with the consultants uh, for an MFC and public bank. 
um, and uh, they can fill you in a bit more in the details. It incorporates feedback that was received from the FDIC and the California Department of Financial uh, Protection, um, and uh, that was incorporated into these drafts. The reinvestment working group will take comments after uh, this period starting now um, and then come back uh, to the board with uh, final plans in the upcoming uh, months and then we will do the work at uh, the board and uh, with with other uh, departments and all arms of government uh, to make this happen so i'm very excited uh, that this is moving forward uh, appreciate the time and uh, would like uh, with uh, uh, Mr. Chair, if it's okay to invite up uh, uh, Khalid Samurai uh, and Kristen Evans uh, for their presentation, which will uh, bring everyone up to speed. Oh, sure, please. Thanks. Thank you. This mic right here. All right. Thank you, uh, Supervisors. Good morning. Supervisor Preston did an excellent job summarizing um, most of the presentation. So I'll be going through it um, pretty quickly once it's up. And Mr. Samurai, if you could try to speak either into that mic or if the other one next to you is, is easier, um, but if you could speak directly in, that would be great. Can you guys hear me? Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. Um, so uh, I'll just go ahead and get started. Um, in uh, California, um, sponsored by uh, then Assembly Member David Chu, passed AB 857, the Public Banking Act, which allows counties and uh, municipalities in California to start a publicly owned bank. The reinvestment working group uh, ordinance sponsored by Supervisor Preston um, was uh, passed in 2021 um, with uh, two goals, providing business and governance plans for um, a non-depository, a step one bank, and then a full uh, depository bank. And LAFCO has agreed to um, uh, help with uh, studying this uh, process. Next slide, Jeremy. And so just to summarize the extension ordinance, as uh, the supervisor said, it, it's pretty basic. We're going to just extend the due date for these plans to be submitted to the Board of Supervisors until September 31st and uh, extend the sunset date to May 31st. We already have the draft uh, plans for the non-depository MFC and public bank. We got them on Friday. And um, the goal right now for the next three months is to collect as much feedback from the investment working group members, LAFCO commissioners, and other board of supervisors to um, uh, develop the final version of these plans. Our goal is to have the, uh, I think next slide, Jeremy. Uh, our goal is to have um, the MFC documents ready to be presented by March 31st and the public bank to be presented to you guys by uh, May 31st. Between June and December, the uh, working group might meet a couple more times if you have some questions for them or if there are other matters for them to, cons uh, to consider. But the plan right now is to have everything completed by May 31st, um, and we just want a little leeway, uh, just in case. So accomplishments to date, uh, working with HRNA, we have um, conducted four focus groups um, with a total of 33 participants. Um, to gather feedback from San Francisco residents about what they need as far as the public bank. Uh, HRNA took that find, those findings and uh, researched further what the lending products actually would need to be to support affordable housing, small businesses, and uh, green financing, and specifically focusing on 
repairing the harm that the private lending industry has caused to communities of color and um, poor people in this uh, city. We uh, also developed a governance plan to submit to the FDIC uh, for their initial feedback. This is a pre-application review, so they, they essentially tell us what we need to change before we actually submit it to them. And um, we have, uh, as of Friday, a draft um, MFC governance plan and business plan, a draft public bank governance plan and business plan, and um, a green bank option. Uh, so if we wanted to add green banking into the mix, we can do that as well. Next slide, please, Jeremy. I'm so sorry. That's okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Great. Um, as Khalid mentioned, um, our supervisor Preston mentioned, um, my name is Kristen Evans, and I am a ch is the, ch the current chair of the San Francisco Reinvestment Working Group. Um, I was elected in April last year. I occupy one of four community seats, specifically the seat reserved for a small business owner. I am an owner of the Booksmith and the Alembic, two businesses located in Haight-Ashbury. And um, so once our body was seated, as Khalid mentioned, we began the work of coming up to speed on the work previously done by the Treasurer's Office and the BLA on recommendations for creating a public bank. Once the consultant's contract was finalized, we were, as Khalid mentioned, able to begin the process of community outreach, and that included preparation and the facilitation of four focus groups with stakeholders, which the public bank is envisioned to serve. Uh, green energy, small business, affordable housing, and their advocates. Um, <clears throat> additionally, our consultants conducted one-on-one -on -one interviews with relevant city departments and community financial institutions who currently serve those communities with existing loan programs. So uh, through those conversations and additional research, our consultants documented and identified market gaps and community needs for lending services to validate the need for a public bank and inform our development of two business plans. And you can switch to the next slide. Great, thank you. And um, significant time was spent by our working group members um, on, and the Public Bank Coalition with Gary, Stephen, Finley and Associates, experts in creating de novo bank institutions on the development of a draft governance plan. Um, one that would ensure anti-corruption measures were in place to safeguard the bank's financial holdings and shield it from p political influence. That plan was then shared with federal and state regulators for initial feedback and then was further refined. So um, the next slide, please. This uh, next slide shares with you our projected timeline for completion of our works. Um, on Friday, we received the first drafts of both business plans for the MSC and public bank. Our uh, reinvestment working group will have the first opportunity to discuss these documents and provide feedback at our monthly meeting later this week. Um, so I invite everybody who's interested in public bank to come to the reinvestment working group. It's on Thursday at three. Um, over the next three months, we will solicit community feedback on these drafts and incorporate changes to refine these documents with aim to have the MFC plan complete by the end of March and the public plan, bank plan by the end of May. Following the completion of the deliverables provided by HRNA consultants, the reinvestment working group will have the opportunity to continue if needed. And once we are satisfied, we've fulfilled our responsibilities as working group members, we will submit these plans to the Board of Supervisors for your consideration. 
Um, so the legislation for you has a sun setting by December. Um, and finally, uh, thank you for your consideration. And we do have some additional slides with additional information. We're happy to field any additional questions. Thank you. And can we just go through those? Oh, sure. oh we're good. Happy to take any questions, supervisors. Thank you both again for your work and for the presentation. I, I think um, one question I had, um, I, I will say I was surprised that the, the, in the reports that came out Friday, and I do want to urge, I know those were distributed to the committee, but for the public and anyone watching this to know that this is going to be the comment period coming up. Um, to get your your views incorporated into these drafts. So I think it's um, uh, really, I appreciate the opportunity to, to get the word out. I, I will say in reviewing them, I was struck by a number of things. One was I was expecting a much longer timeline to get going, um, it, it, you know, having not been uh, sure exactly where that would land. It looks like, if I'm reading it right, that the MFC, there's no real barrier. I mean, that could happen as soon as this year if that could be set up. Again, if, if the, the, the will is there and, and we finalize these recommendations and consider them, but that there's, no, there's no barriers at the state level or otherwise that could happen as soon as this year. And it looks like with a plan to, to have a more full public bank with, in a three to five year time frame. Um, so I was struck by that on the timeline. I'd love to hear, to hear your comments on this and make sure I'm getting it right. Um, and the other is on the, the, the costs. Uh, the, it, it looks like a sort of low end of about $20 million investment, uh, more like 50 uh, to really get going. And then projections that within three years that the public bank is actually paying for itself and actually earning, I don't want to call it a profit because it's not a profit, but it's in the black, let's put it that way, uh, on a three-year timeline uh, in these draft plans. Am I getting all that right or is there anything you want to add just in terms of timeline and costs, recognizing this is all draft? Absolutely. That, yeah. You're correct, Supervisor. Um, the City of San Francisco can start a non-depository municipal financial corporation today if it wanted to. The city actually already gives out millions of dollars in loans every year. As the uh, Treasurer's Task Force um, report showed in 2019, there's millions of dollars of loans being given out by the City of San Francisco, whether those are actual loans or they're called loans and um, actually grants and how much and the return. We're still, um, at, we've asked, put out requests to multiple uh, departments um, to get that information um, in uh, clarity. And uh, so the MFC can get started right now, and you're right with, uh, HRNA and Gary Finley, uh, Stephen Associates, who are experts in starting de novo banks, um, have said that with $20 million, uh, both, uh, so sorry, for $20 million, the non depository MFC, our step one as the city, uh, can turn a profit within three years. And a public bank um, with $50 million can also turn a profit um, within uh, three years. So uh, they modeled both um, options for us. And as the Board of Supervisors requested, uh, they want uh, the step one non-depository first and for it to ramp up in three to five years to a public bank. All of this is modeled on the draft plans, which all of you can um, uh, comment on and give feedback on uh, until uh, the reinvestment working group finishes its work. Thank you very much. And, and just, just a couple other quick comments. Um, and, and first off, as you say, you know, I've always, I always, um, when I hear turn of profit, the difference between these profits and the profits of, uh, you know, our sort of 
mainstream banks is these, these get plowed back into the objectives of a public bank of affordable housing dollars, uh, green investments, and, um, uh, and, and small businesses. So Absolutely. This, this bank will take a lower return for projects with high social value. That's our mission and that's our goal. Thanks. And, and just the, the couple other things I just want to note. One is, you know, we have another um, process, uh, Supervisor Walton led in having a, a, a working group that's working around on reparations. And I just want to note, because that's in a draft form and people are talking about that, that'll be before the board. I, I just want to recognize that there is a, 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 a real overlap um, in that one of the re recommendations in the draft reparations report is actually the creation of a public bank. So it's very exciting to see both of these things uh, moving forward. Absolutely. And if I could add, uh, Supervisor, the Department of Environment actually received a report from Berkeley Law School that also uh, calls for a green bank for San Francisco to pay for its uh, um, climate action plan. Wonderful. Well, I know we'll talk about the merits, and we're here today more on the, you know, down the road when we have uh, a final plan. I know we're mostly focused on just making sure you have the room to do your work. I did just want to say that I think that this is very timely and very, and very much connected to our economic recovery um, as a city. I, I think that, that including reinvestment and doing so through a public bank uh, is one of the best ways that we actually make sure that, that our city is um, using, using our revenue and our tax revenue to reverse inequities, not to perpetuate them. And, and I appreciate all the work. And thank you again, uh, Chair Dorsey and colleagues, uh, for, for uh, placing this on the agenda and having this hearing. Thank you, Supervisor Preston. Supervisor Walton. Thank you, Chair Dorsey. And one, I just want to thank uh, the, the group for all of your work on the public bank and thank Supervisor Preston for continuing to work. I can remember when I was on the Board of Education working with Supervisor Fewer and we had conversations years ago about putting in the work to get a public bank for us here in San Francisco and the fact that the work is happening and it's gonna be a reality. I'm just excited about that. And uh, I've been on several different forums and had conversations with some of uh, the leadership in Philadelphia who's working on a public bank as well. And they beat us in the championship game. We can't let them beat us, <laughs> we can't let them beat us in this. So, uh, but we also know how that turned out for them yesterday too. But in all seriousness, uh, thank you for the work. And this is something that's gonna be important for all of us like Supervisor Preston did state. Uh, there, it is no, it is not by chance that all of this work is happening together, public bank reparations and everything that we're trying to do to make sure that folks who need us the most can get ahead. So just appreciate the work. Thank you, Supervisor Walton. And I just want to express my own appreciation to um, Supervisor Preston for his leadership on this. I know that the uh, promise of a civic bank has been, um, a public bank has been a civic aspiration for a long time and I appreciate the work that you're doing on this. And I think particularly because of, you know, this, it's, this is one of those things that it's important to get right rather than fast. And that's, I think, why it's gonna, it's, there, I don't think there should be any uh, reason that we're extending the timeline on this. And I really do appreciate uh, Mr. Samurai and Ms. Evans, the work that you're doing on this. And also, I'd be remiss not to express my gratitude to uh, Jeremy Pollack for his work on this as well. Um, so with that, Ditto.
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mr. Clerk, can we open it up to public comment? Yes, members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item may line speak at this time. If you are joining us remotely, please call public comment number 415-655-0001. The meeting ID is 2482-271-4832, then press pound and pound again. Once connected to the meeting, you'll need to press star three to enter the speaker line. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until we take public comment on this item and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that would be your cue to begin your comment. Uh, is there anybody in the chamber who would like to make public comment at this time? There being nobody in the chamber, we'll move on to our callers on the telephone line. Mr. Lamb, can we have our first caller? Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Rick Gerlin. I live in Bernal Heights and I've been working on public banking with the San Francisco Public Bank Coalition and the California Public Banking Alliance for the last almost five years now. So uh, I am strong, in strong support of Supervisor Preston's request for the extension. Uh, believe me, we've worked hard and it's been uh, impressive to see that the working group has produced two drafts that we can now look over and uh, they're dealing with important issues such as governance and funding the, the bank. However, it was unrealistic to complete this work in, in actually less than one year once it got started. An extension is absolutely necessary to assure that the applications are um, thorough and accurate. And I would like to uh, just really agree with what has been said about, you know, the need for affordable housing, climate justice, small business support, and reparations. Uh, we need to recover. Uh, it is true that this city needs a lot of work, and it needs money to do that work, and the public bank is one means for it to get that money. So thank you very much for your work, and I strongly support the uh, request for an extension. Thank you. Thank you. Can we have our next caller, please? Hi, my name is Misha Steyer. I'm a District 7 resident with the Public Bank Coalition and just calling in uh, in support of this extension. Um, just want to uplift how, uh, dovetailing with what Colin demonstrated, just the uh, really impressive and diligent work that's gone into this plan. And I'm really excited with how uh, actionable and concrete I think that's going to end up being. Um, and as Supervisor Preston uplifted, I think it's really timely um, that we have this dynamic tool, this this uh, this in our toolkit as a city for our recovery. Um, I think it's really could be serendipitous. I'm excited to hear um, about the collective vision being shaped uh, by everyone. So thanks everyone for your work, and yes, yeah, so let's please give this extension to um, continue this important work. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, can we have our next caller, please? Hello, everyone. This is Jackie Fielder. Um, been on the Local Agency Information Commission, LAFCO, since November 2021, and uh, organizing for a public bank since 2017. Um, thanks, everyone, for your comments and questions, too. There are still a lot of questions and room for improvement on the draft plans, and the Public Bank Coalition has been pouring over those. 
for the past weekend and few days, and we're still sorting through a lot of the the points in there. Um, would appreciate more time, as always, and uh, very much encourage folks to take a look at the, at the draft plans and certainly submit your comments and questions for feedback. I'm always available, um, but would appreciate more time for this group, and thanks for your engagement and support. Thank you. Okay, we have our next caller. Good morning, committee members. Uh, my name is Jasmine Koyawan, and I'm a senior attorney at the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights of San Francisco, a member of the San Francisco Public Bank Coalition. I'm calling to support the extension of the reinvestment working group as the group's work has been, has been and continues to be critical to the establishment of the SF Public Bank. I too want to express my thanks and appreciation to all the members of the reinvestment working group and HRNA consultants for all their work, including community outreach and education, conducting the lending gaps and priority analysis and producing the draft governance and business plans. I'm particularly impressed and excited about the draft plans, um, which include pushing affordable housing, small business lending and green investments. There are still a lot of questions, however, and more time would be great to have a true iterative process with community, as well as push for more community input and education. So this has all been a, a very complex task that could change the financing landscape, not just in San Francisco, but all of California, um, as San Francisco is being looked to as a model. So for these reasons, uh, I support the extension. Thank you. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Good morning. This is Anastasia Yovanopoulos, a District 8 resident. I attended the most recent meeting that was held by the uh, Public Bank Working Group. This is a very serious, sober-minded group, and I support the extension. And I also am really enthused that we'll be using our tax revenue to uh, to uh, right the inequities in our city. Thank you. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? That was our last caller on the telephone line. Thank you, Mr. Young. Public comment on item four is now closed. Supervisor Preston. Thank you. Uh, Chair Dorsey, and, and appreciate um, all the statements of support and all the folks calling in. And, and I did want to recognize um, Supervisor Walton referenced um, former Supervisor Fuhrer's leadership. You know, there, there's quite a bit of history on the board, and so I, I did want to just acknowledge folks who have really worked um, from uh, originally, I believe, uh, former Supervisor John Avalos was, to my knowledge, the first to actively uh, push, really explore this during his time as supervisor, um, Supervisor Fuhrer uh, certainly, you know, took some big steps forward uh, as well. Um, and um, and I, just reminding everyone that this was passed, this creation of this working group was passed unanimously. Um, and uh, I, I think it's really a good sign that this has been an area where there's been um, such uh, universal support for moving forward. Um, also want to recognize our city attorney, David Chu, who, when he was in the assembly, authored the bill that creates the structure here for us to move forward with a formal ap uh, application 
uh, and approval with the state. So very much appreciate um, his work and, and leadership in Sacramento on this. Um, and, and last but not least, it's the LAFCO team. I've talked already about Executive Officer uh, Pollock, and we've heard from Mr. Samurai, uh, but also just all the members of LAFCO, and in particular our, uh, our chair, uh, Connie Chan, uh, Supervisor Chan has, you know, really this is this was a big addition to the body of work that LAFCO holds and handles, and everyone has really stepped up to facilitate the working group and and carry a lot of that work. Um, so, uh, with that, I uh, urge uh, support for the ordinance, and thank you again. <clears throat> thank you, Supervisor Preston. And seeing no one else on the roster to discuss this, I'd like to make a motion to send this item to the full board with a positive recommendation. Mr. Clerk, roll call on that motion. <clears throat> yes, on that motion to recommend. Supervisor Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Vice Chair Walton. Walton absent. Chair Dorsey. Aye. Dorsey, aye. The motion passes without objection with uh, Vice Chair Walton being absent. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. So on a, uh, without Opposition. Item four goes to the full board with positive recommendations. Mr. Clerk, can you please call item number five? Yes, item number five is ordinance amending the administrative code and business and tax regulation code as required by Proposition C adopted at the November 8, 2022 election to provide that the Homelessness Oversight Commission appoint all members to the local homeless coordinating board, that the coordinating board's sole duties are to serve as the governing body required to participate in the Federal Continuum of Care Program and to advise the Commission on issues related to the Continuum of Care, that the Shelter Monitoring Committee advise the Committee in lieu of the Coordinating Board, and that the Our City, Our Homes Oversight Committee advise and make recommendations to the Commission and the Health Commission, and that the Oversight Committee inform the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing Strategic Planning Process. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Um, I appreciate the work that uh, our colleague and Rules Committee member, Supervisor Safai, has done on this. Supervisor Safai, the floor is yours. Thank you. Um, uh, colleagues, as you recall, uh, members of the public, uh, last week we approved the ordinance that Prop C required to stand up the Homeless Oversight Commission, and then we duplicated the file uh, and continued it for a week today. Uh, today we are introducing amendments that are not required by Prop C, but are also good government, and we've worked on that with our Department of Homeless Support of Housing. These amendments will help the city better secure federal funds and streamline the bodies that report uh, to the Homeless Oversight Commission. The amendments further clarify which departments staff the commission and its various committees and cleanup reporting requirements. Um, since uh, these amendments were substantive, they will sit for two weeks and will be heard again in our February, February 27th meeting. All of you should have received the amendments. Um, they've been distributed to your offices. We have uh, Emily Cohen here from Department of Homeless Supportive Housing, and she's going to do a short presentation, and then she and I can both answer questions when she's done. Thank you, Ms. Cohen. Thank you, Chair, and thank you, Supervisor Safai. I'm happy to walk through the some detail on these amendments um, and just really want to express my appreciation to Supervisor Safai and his staff for working so closely with HSH and our team to um, streamline the existing oversight bodies. As the supervisor said last week, the board passed on first reading the initial ordinance to set up 
the Homeless Oversight Commission. And then, so I will just focus today on the amendments being introduced. I think my colleague is gonna share some slides. So these amendments being introduced today are really about streamlining the pre-existing oversight bodies that the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing is already working with. So I will walk through each of those three. For the local homeless coordinating board, the amendments will prohibit members from serving on multiple bodies, uh, as it will for members of the commission, shelter monitoring committee, and the shelter grievance advisory committee. For the LHCB, the amendments will increase the number of seats from nine to 11, which will help us better align with HUD's continuum of care recommendations, making us more competitive for federal funding. Additionally, the continuum of the local board will really focus its work on oversight of our federal funding that comes from the continuum of care program. HUD has set out some guidelines of what makes up a sort of a best practice for an oversight board. And this amendment will help us better align with that and again, maximize our ability to draw down federal resources. The membership qualifications will remain flexible, but are designated to align with federal best practices and we will reference the, those types of seats on the website <coughs> so commissioners know who they should be appointing to the seats. Um, additionally, we are staggering terms to help ensure that we have institutional knowledge on the board and alternating sort of the which seats expire when. And the final amendment will allow the LHCB to create subcommittees related specifically to the implementation of the continuum of care programs and funding. The second set of amendments is really related to the Shelter Grievance Advisory Committee and want to thank President, or excuse me, <laughs> Supervisor Walton for all your work to codify the Shelter Grievance Program in ordinance late last year. Nothing about this amendment would change the function of the Shelter Grievance Advisory Committee, that, but it would shift the appointments to the commission and would have the grievance body report to the commission instead of to the local homeless coordinating board, since their focus will be on the continuum of care, which does not fund shelter. Makes more sense to have the report go directly up to the commission and it will, the body will issue a written report to the commission by every March to be included in the commission's annual report. The Shelter Monitoring Committee is another oversight body that has long existed to oversee the health and well-being of our existing shelter system. The commission will, under these amendments, the commission will have the authority to appoint all members rather than having those, amendment, those members come from the LHCB and the board. HSH, the HSH seat will be removed and be replaced with a DPH seat and HSH will begin to provide administrative support for this body rather than the Department of Public Health. We would ask the Shelter Monitoring Committee to regularly attend commission meetings and report as requested by commission members. The final amendment, uh, pretty straightforward, directs the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing to attend commission meetings and provide administrative support to that commission. And that's the the bulk of those amendments, really the intent as we finally have single oversight to have all of these bodies reporting up into that entity. Thank you. Thank you, Deputy Director Cohen. I just wanna add that 
Part of the, when we approached the creation of this commission, there was a lot of conversation about disparate bodies, all advising and working with uh, the department. Uh, this department was created uh, not that many years ago, and it was intended to take a number of the different services, monies, and function and put them in a department to deliver services uh, for the unhoused and deal with this crisis. Um, we have subsequently and created this oversight body not only to create oversight auditing functions, but also to streamline many of the disparate bodies and work in collaboration uh, with the department, uh, one of which would be the Local Homeless Coordinating Board um, creates advice on budgets as it relates to Prop C. That process didn't necessarily always line up with the department's budget process. That is something now that will be uh, done in unison along with uh, the appointment of some of these uh, oversight bodies as Ms. Cohen stated. So we feel like this is a, a better way to uh, operate uh, in this department. So we appreciate the work, Deputy Director Cohen, and we look forward to your support colleagues. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Safai. <clears throat> I wanna thank also Deputy D Director Cohen for uh, your work on this and also your presentation today, seeing no uh, no one on the roster to comment on this. I think we should kind of open it up to public comment. Mr. Clerk. Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up to speak at this time. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2482-271-4832, then press pound and pound again. Once connected, you will need to press star three to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue the way until the system indicates you've been unmuted, and that will be your cue to begin your comments. Um, you may approach the podium and make your comment. Thank you. Good morning, Chair Dorsey and uh, Supervisors. Um, thank you for letting me speak on this uh, this morning. Uh, my name is Britt Creech, and um, I've for years have been working uh, to combat homelessness and related um, problems in the city of San Francisco. Um, I'm also a co-founder of the Tame and Boot Navigation Center and the former managing director. And um, currently I, um, I'm on seat three of the Shelter Monitoring Committee. Um, I just wanna be clear that I'm here on my own behalf. Um, uh, unfortunately, um, the Shelter Monitoring Committee did not have the opportunity to review these changes um, uh, in our full committee meeting before today. Um, the language I saw on the board's website Friday seemed okay, but last week HSA presented slides at the local homeless coordinating board meeting that among other things said the shelter monitoring committee staff was to be quote switched from DPH and that HSH would provide administrative support and staffing. I don't think this is a good idea. And I, I'm hoping that this was a mistake, but it, today it clearly sounds like it's not. Um, I would like to say that having DPH uh, staff, the Shelter Monitoring Committee has always been understood to avoid potential conflict of interest. Um, being in other departments frees them to objectively assess and to offer serious, always constructive criticism of shelters. Um, leaving this clause uh, out won't prevent the implementation of uh, Prop C, but it would make Shelter Monitoring Committee less effective. Um, I need to emphasize that it's important that our 
our unhoused folks um, feel that they're not, they have an impartial uh, uh, body overseeing them. Um, and I hope that we cannot, we, we won't fix what's already broken. Thank you. Thank you. See no other persons in line in the chamber. We can move on to our caller. Shelters. Um, leaving this clause. Yeah, oh, good, good morning, supervisors and city staff and the public. My name is Dale Seymour. I'm a chair member of the Local Homeless Coordinating Board. Um, you know, San Francisco is all about language. And to me, streamlining and oversight don't fit in the same sentence. You know, we've done this before, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily in line with trying to figure out a way to streamline this new oversight function that, we, that we're trying to do. We want to, we would want to make sure that we got everything covered. Streamlining is not the way to cover things. I also did not get, as a local homes coordinating board, we did not get a chance to chime in maybe on this shift of responsibility from the Shelter Monitoring Committee staff from going from DPH to HSH. We got to report, we always get it when it's in pencil, not in, I mean, in pen, not in pencil. And that should be the way, if you want to get some advice from someone, you bring your report in pencil, not in pen. And that's how we got it. So I'm just concerned, and I hope you will have some kind of mechanism to understand that these people from who formerly worked for DPH will now be working for HSH, which is the agency that they will have, quote, quote, oversight over. And that's an uncomfortable, awkward position sometimes. I have much trust in HSH that there would never be a violation of their trust, but something should be put in this ordinance, the, 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 the changes to this ordinance to ensure in the future that we will never have to worry about this. And that's not streamlining, that's, that's serious oversight. Thank you for the opportunity to speak with all of y'all this morning. And, and uh, Director Cohen, thank you so much for that great report. Bye. Thank you. Can we hear our next caller? <clears throat> uh, can you hear me now? Yes, we can. Please proceed. Great, David Pilpel. Um, so I've not seen the amendments yet, but I intend to review them. Uh, they sound uh, entirely reasonable based on the uh, presentation. Um, uh, as the previous speakers uh, have suggested, I would try to review those amendments and the overall um, package of uh, changes with the LHCB and the uh, SMC. Um, I would also encourage you and those bodies not to forget uh, sunshine training and to keep hybrid uh, public comment uh, at uh, the LHCB and the SMC and to be sure that that um, continues to exist uh, at the, or that it does exist at the new um, Homeless Oversight uh, Commission. I think it's uh, incredibly important to have hybrid uh, public comment. Uh, and particularly a, a function like uh, shelter monitoring, shelter grievances, and uh, the LHCB and the commission. Um, thank you very much to staff uh, at uh, HSH uh, and Supervisor Safai, uh, City Attorney, uh, HSA, uh, elsewhere on this. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Hello, um, this is Melanie Morasau. I am seat 10 of the Shelter Monitor Committee. And I 
want to thank the chair and the supervisors for allowing me to comment. I just wanted to also express my uh, concerns about HSH assuming authoritative reach over the Shelter Monitor Committee. I believe that there would be a uh, conflict of interest there, and I just feel that we should we should really look at this uh, these amendments carefully. And um, and I can't help but think that there's a little bit of subterfuge because it kind of got slipped in um, underneath our our watch, uh, it, it seems like this is new news that should have been maybe, and maybe it's my fault, you know, maybe I should have been uh, more vigilant regarding all uh, the policy changes or whatever, but I definitely want to want to voice my opinion regarding the thinking that, that HSH would not be the best administrative oversight board for us to answer to, and we do have a really good relationship with DPH and I would, I would think that we should, we should look at this a lot closer before we make a decision. My, that is my opinion, and thank you very much. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Hi, can you hear me? Hello? Yes, we can hear you. Please proceed. Thank you. Um, hi, thank you. Good morning, Chair, Supervisors, and um, HSH folks uh, at the con. Thank you so much for the presentation. My name is Joaquin Nomura uh, Guerrero. I am formerly in-house. I am formerly an employee of a long-term shelter and as well as a leader on a navigation center. Um, and I am now serving as a member on the Shelter Monitor Committee, but I also am speaking on my own behalf today. Um, and again, just want to echo uh, what others have said. Um, a concern around taking uh, recommendations from the wrong sources and particularly the line of switching uh, from DPH and that HSH could provide administrative support and staffing to the Shelter Modern Committee is a great concern and I think it's counterproductive. I think it would lead us more to breaking trust rather than continuing on the path of building trust that we have been working towards. Um, I also think that having the Shelter Monitoring Committee be a third party is actually more beneficial to the work with HSH and uh, providing constructive feedback and support to the staff of shelters and as well as the quality of care for the participants. So just want to chime in there to maybe run this back by the Shelter Monitoring Committee for input as uh, many folks are formerly in-house who are members of that committee as well um, or are actively uh, working in shelters and things like that. So thank you so much for all your work. I really appreciate it. And, uh, thank you. Can we get our next caller? Hello, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Please proceed. Hi, my name is Chris. I'm currently a member of the Shelter Monitoring Committee and sit on a disability seat. But today, I speak on my own behalf here because my committee was not given a single chance, not one, to review these changes made in full committee. I thoroughly wish that we had been given, I had been given the time to chew on this full text. But one thing I found particularly problematic was, problematic was what it said. HSH said in a recent LHCB meeting that there is a way that, it, that there was to be a quote unquote switch from DPH. Also, the HSH would provide administrative support and staffing to the Shelter Monitoring Committee. I hope, I hope this is in fact not happening. It is an unnecessary change that would reduce the effectiveness of the Shelter Monitoring Committee by hurting the credibility of its staff 
who are employees of CPH and are seen by our unhoused friends and clients as impartial and influential. Also, having DPH staff the SMC is a way of maintaining prudent checks and balances that are so incredibly necessary. If staff were under HSH, anyone can see that this would be anticipated to discourage constructive criticism of shelters and give HSH more control than they already should have. Leaving this clause out would not in any way hinder the, imp the implementation of Prop C. Thank you all so much for your time. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Uh, that was our last public commenter on the telephone line. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. And with that, public comment on item five is now closed. <clears throat> uh, seeing no colleagues on the roster wishing to speak further to this item, I'd like to make a motion to send item five to the full board with a positive recommendation. Mr. I have an amendment. Mr. Chair, I make a motion to accept amendments as proposed that were read into the record. Uh, sorry, I just uh, wanted to be sure I got it correctly. Uh, the motion is to uh, accept the amendments proposed by Supervisor Safai. Yes, on that motion, Supervisor Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Uh, Vice Chair Walton. Aye. Walton, aye. Chair Dorsey. Aye. Dorsey, aye. The motion passes uh, without objection. And on the motion to continue the matter as amended, Oh, right, it has to be continued because it's substantive, sorry. Yes, so make a motion to continue the item as amended. Yes, that would be to the 27th. February 27th meeting of the Rules Committee on the motion to continue. Supervisor Safai. Aye. Safai, E. I. Vice Chair Walton. Aye. Walton, aye. Chair Dorsey. Aye. Dorsey, aye. The motion passes without objection. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, can you please call item number six? Yes, item number six, the ordinance amending the administrative code to remove agreements let under chapter six for public works or improvements from the prohibitions in chapter 12X on the cities entering into contract with contractors that has its United States headquarters in a state that allows discrimination against LGBT individuals, has restrictive abortion laws or has voter suppression laws or where any or all of the contracts would be formed in such a state. Thank you, Mr. Clerk, Supervisor Safai. Once again, the floor is yours. Thank you. Uh, colleagues, today I'm here to ask for you to support an ordinance that will help ensure the city's construction projects are delivered at the high le highest level of quality and prove the odds that come in on time, that they come in on time and on budget. 12, the chapter 12X of the administrative code, which I voted to enact, uh, limits the city's ability to contract with companies headquartered in certain states. That number now has risen to about 30 states out of the 50 in the entire United States. We all, meaning members of this body and board, and many of the city's leadership and all of the city's leadership, agree with the core principles of protecting voting rights, reproductive freedom, and LGBTQ plus uh, rights. On Friday, our city administrator put out a report showing that 12X has not achieved these goals. Only one state changed any law as a result. Instead, we have seen unintended consequences, fewer bidders, 
uh, means lower quality and higher construction cost. And it also means fewer bidders with which our local LBEs to work with and develop relationships with. Uh, there is some oppos opposition today, we anticipate that, from people who benefit from the status quo. And I wanted to take a moment at the outset to respond to a couple of the points that have been submitted in writing. First, this legislation does not change any aspect of local subcontracting requirements or local hire rules. Any prime contractor will deliver local jobs regardless of whether they, where they are based and must follow all of our 14B requirements. Second, this proposal does not change the city's commitment to LGBT equity. Any contractor still has to meet 12B equal benefits requirements and agree to non-discrimination laws. A national organization called the Human Rights Campaign issued a corporate equality index that tracks how many companies advance LGBTQ plus rights and according to their report, companies like Black and Viatech, Jacobs Engineering, Sherman Williams Paint Company, Ikea, Lowe's, all have received 100% on their scorecard, but they can't do business with the city of San Francisco, while a California-based company that has a much lower marks can, and that doesn't make any sense to me. We've asked construction departments to share the impacts of 12X on their operations and to tell us what contracting opportunities are coming up. And just to put an extra point on it, 12X was never created to limit competition. That was never the intent of 12X. So today we are joined by Ivy Fine from the PUC, uh, Robert, uh, Bruce Robertson from Public Works, and Judy Mosqueda, I think she's gonna be remote from the airport. So if you can, I would like to begin with uh, Ms. Ivy Fine from the PUC to talk about the impacts of 12X on <clears throat> the PUC. Good morning, supervisors. My name is Ivy Fine with the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission Contracts Group. We have a couple of slides today that show upcoming contracts in 2023 and 2024 uh, that potentially will be impacted by the repeal of 12X on Chapter 6 construction and professional service contracts. Uh, the, the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission has between 10 million and 20 million, about eight contracts that will be advertised uh, for an engineer's estimate of about 113 million. And for design bid builds, so again, construction contracts greater than 20 million, we have seven contracts for a total of about 630 million. And we have alternative delivery contracts that have an engineer's estimate over 20 million. We have two contracts that'll total 240 million. Where 12X impacts construction is on high dollar value contracts, as well as if they're smaller contracts, but incredibly highly specialized. So for example, on the construction side for the O'Shaughnessy Dam new bulkhead system, it's $8 million under 10 million. 
However, it's incredibly highly specialized with deep diving, manufacturing, and safety issues. So we really want to ensure that we have a competitive bidding pool that is technically competent to perform the work. And then on the other side of the spectrum, we have the Millbury Yard Laboratory and Shop Improvements, which is a huge project for us, $200 million, which would really benefit from a competitive bidding pool, which forces bidders to really sharpen their pencil on costs. I can also speak on the professional service side, but open to any questions you may have. Uh, one, quite, one thing I, I wanted to add, and thank you for going to the next slide. Um, could you also, have you, if you didn't mention already, how it could help improve the joint venture programs? So these large firms coming in, um, and I can speak on the professional service side, there are probably three or four off the top of my head that would not normally under 12X uh, propose on one of our contracts. Um, for contracts under 10 million, there is a local business enterprise program incentive where joint ventures can receive seven and a half percent or five percent depending on the amount of work that the non-lead joint venture partner performs. And these are wonderful opportunities for the local business enterprises to um, match with and you know partner with a larger firm. Um, many of these firms already have long-standing mentorship programs as well um, and be able to provide additional opportunities for a local business enterprise to partner with a larger firm and learn and perform work on our projects. And so the one, what we've seen so far on these two slides are these are the upcoming contracts that would, could potentially be impacted Correct. Uh, by. And, and what have you seen from past experience in terms of what impact 12X has had on the contracting for Chapter 6 and professional services? Um, for many of our contracts, especially the higher dollar value contracts, uh, to propose or prepare a bid can cost anywhere from tens of thousands of dollars to hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm not sure what the incentive would be for a firm to spend that kind of money if they already know that there's an ordinance banning their participation. They can, the ordinance doesn't, of course, doesn't ban any firm from bidding, but a right. 12X waiver would be required by a department head in order to award the contract. Okay, great. Thank you. I think the next, uh, unless colleagues, any questions? Supervisor Walton. I'm oh, sorry. Thank you, Chair Dorsey. <laughs> Um, I don't have a question. I, I just definitely have a statement. Um, you know, one, I, I partly understand the intent of this ordinance, but the fact of the matter is businesses, big corporations are the only entities that are really thriving during this time um, as we try to come back from the pandemic. And, you know, businesses who are headquartered outside of San Francisco who leave the the city who leave the state to avoid the obligations of this city uh, while we try to take care of residents they should not be rewarded especially at the expense of our small contractors and small businesses these corporations purposely f flee San Francisco they purposely have headquarters elsewhere 
to get around our laws and our values. Uh, I definitely disagree that this legislation would speed up housing. I, I think it would speed up profits, of course, for some irresponsible uh, businesses and bigger corporations, but it would also further hurt our contractors. Our local businesses need every opportunity to be successful, and this as and this, and this as written is basically just a giveaway and is in direct conflict with San Francisco values unless our values have somehow changed. Um, and you know, just responding to the JV program, you know, it's already problematic when you consider what the definition of an LBE is and the fact that we have businesses that are really not local that are able to have a workaround and receive business here in San Francisco under some of those JV partnerships. So we have to do more to protect our small contractors, our LBEs, our MBEs, our minority businesses. Um, and this is not something that's gonna protect them. This is actually gonna provide a bigger opportunity for them to be exploited by bigger businesses and bigger corporations. And so as written, this is not something that I think we should be supporting. And most certainly we should not be rewarding those businesses that don't share our values have their headquarters outside of the city at the detriment, quite frankly, um, to some of the advantages we need from, from having big business. So I wanted to make sure that that was on the record. Thank you, <clears throat> thank you Vice Chair Walton, and thank you, Supervisor Safai. Um, I will confess that as a city employee and manager in this building for most of my career, I actually have pretty strong feelings about our city contracting and procurement processes generally and Chapter 12X specifically, but um, in the spirit of having an open mind, and I know I've had some discussions about this, I would like to invite uh, public comment. Um. Uh, yes. Uh, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up to speak at this time. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2482. 2714832, then press pound and pound again. Once connected, we need to press star three to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue the way until the system indicates you have been unmuted and that'll be your cue to begin your comment. Uh, can we have our first in-person speaker? Good morning, <clears throat> pardon me. My name is Bruce Giron, and I wanna thank you for this opportunity to address you on what I consider a very, very critical business that you have before you today. I'm a small business owner. Um, I have a small 31-person shop in San Francisco. We've been in business for almost 12 years, and I owe any success that I can call success to the policies that San Francisco has consistently been a leader in. And uh, there are not many places that I could have replicated what I have done uh, except San Francisco. I'm also here in my capacity as the chairman of the National Association of Minority Contractors. It's an organization that's been around for over 55 years. It's in 20 major areas of the United States. We stand as an organization shoulder to shoulder with many other organizations that you will hear from today in opposing this, the changes to this legislation. San Francisco occupies a coveted position, not only in this state, but also the nation. You have been the leader on a lot of things. You are looked to as an example that other municipalities want to be 
if they had the resources, and that includes the, the leadership, if they had that. I urge you on the basis of just morality to not retract from that awesome responsibility that you have. I urge you also, on the basis of just competitiveness, uh, America is built on, the, on the, 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 the um, capitalism. We understand that everything about capitalism is good. It's the issue of greed that gets in the way and tarnishes it. Rahm Emanuel has said, never let a good crisis go to waste. So in this headlong rush for efficiency in government, Speaker I would ask time. that this not become a casualty of that. I guess I'm buzzed off here. I'm sorry. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon. Good morning, Supervisors Dorsey, Shimon Walton, and Safahi, Supervisor Hood. I am a business owner, and this year it will be 30 years in business and as an architect here in the city, employing local residents, but I'm also 40 years of small business policy, where I had mentors of Eileen Hernandez, uh, Harold Yee, Jim Jefferson, Roland Kwan, all of those were my mentors in small business policy. What I want to talk to you about is that I'm representing an organization, the San Francisco Latino and Black Leader, uh, Builders Association, which was an outgrowth of my being involved in the recovery for the city of San Francisco. What you're going to hear today is that there's going to be opposition against it only because you haven't consulted the small business community to see if there's any thresholds that we could work with you or the successes of this policy. We need to have that. The problem is that in your streamlining of your process and government process and contracting, you're not looking to the experience of the small business community. And that's your source of information to build better policy to streamline. So I ask you um, not for, to approve this, to, we're opposing this, and that you sit down with us and ask us what will work for you guys um, in streamlining the process. When Gavin Newsom was here and he wanted to streamline the contracting process, he asked the business community to come in, look at the general conditions and all components of the contract. But please do not move any policies with economic empowerment, social justice, uh, and equity that are the criteria in these policies. I thank you. Good afternoon, Supervisors. My name is Nick Kalina. Um, I'm a partner of Anko Iron and Construction. We've been in the Bayview for 54 years. We're a union contractor. Um, I'm also a member of the San Francisco Latino Black Builders Association and Build Out California, which represents LGBTQ contractors and workforce. I'm an openly gay man in the construction industry, and I'm not sure you guys know what it's like to be an openly gay man in the construction industry, but it's not easy. And so I'm here today representing our community for those that can't, that go, those that are too afraid to be here today to say, I want a seat at the table. And so I'm here today in, a, in opposition to item six. Um, we request that the data be provided to justify this, this change. 
We are opposed to the elimination of 12X until the data is presented to justify the, the elimination. We are opposed to any changes in economic inequity and social criteria, including the, or the ordinance or construction contract before consulting small local business um, advisory groups like the SFLBBA, Build Out California National Association of Minority Contractors. We're hurting today. Our local businesses are hurting today. If you look at the utilization reports from CMD, our LBE's work is going like this, and we flatlined at the bottom. And businesses outside of San Francisco are getting all of the opportunities. This is not going to help LBEs, and this is not going to help LGBTQ contractors and workforce. What would Harvey Milk say? What would Harvey Milk say? So I just wanted, before, just a moment, I just wanted to, um, so if you wanted to express your support, the, the custom is you can do this with your hands, but we frown on uh, applause. Please Good morning. Proceed. My name is LaSonia Mansfield. I'm the owner of Mansfield and Mansfield Construction Cleanup Company. I'm an African-American raised and born in San Francisco. Um, I'm signature to Local 261, and I am a member of the San Francisco Latino and Black Builders Association. I oppose item number six. We request that the data be provided to justify the change. We are opposed to the elimination of 12X until the data is presented to justify the elimination. We are opposed to any changes in any economic equity, equi equity and social criteria included any ordinance or construction contracts before consulting the small business community in construction and professional services. What is the city gaining with these changes and elimination? Has the city asked the local construction and AE services how they have benefited from 12X? What, with its elimination, it is these large multinational corporations with their headquarters based in, based in San Francisco going to benefit? Why should these corporations benefit with doing business in the state that do not share California's values? I am out of District 10. I have personally sponsored community members into the union so they can get a living wage, over $30 an hour. It may not seem like a lot too much, but to them, it is. And I am pushing to continue to get the work so I can put my community to work. Thank you. Excuse me. Uh, good morning, Board of Supervisors. My name is Orane Sterling. Um, Sterling Famers is my business. I've been in business for two, uh, since 2020. Um, born and raised in the city, San Francisco. Um, I've been in a trade for 15 years as a, a carpenter at a local 22. And I'm here to oppose item 16. And my question is, if this was to stream, if this was to streamlining construction contracts, why hasn't the small business community contacted like Mayor Newsom did? The city needs to review on how multiple agencies provide plan approval and field inspection to reduce time costs. Also, um, I would like the Board of Supervisors to consider the inclusions of black real estate development companies like DC Williams Development Company, such as, excuse me, black contractors such as myself and black truckers. Uh, we are not gaining multi-million dollar contracts. No disparity report needed to see the lack of black inclusion in our own historical black communities. Support us in being a part of that change. Thank you. 
Joshua Kitching, Bay Area Pipe and Equipment, thank you. We are a small LBE prefabrication shop here in San Francisco with the unions. We are here every day. We're paying rent in the city. We're doing everything we can to support city and support businesses that are here in the city. Is there anything in those ordinances that is stopping those businesses from coming here and taking part in that every day like we are to keep the lights on here in the city? I think that all of us here just want to have our voice heard and to be part of those decisions and say, hey, we're here. We might not be able to take that entire contract or do that entire job, but we want to be included in that job and be able to be part of it. Thank you. Good morning, supervisors. My name is Paul Pendergast. I wear two hats here today. One is I serve as the president of Build Out California, which on a weekly um, basis communicates with 6,039 professionals in the architecture, engineering, construction, and real estate development industry. Um, Supervisor Dorsey, thank you very much for coming to our event last June 1st with David Perry. Appreciate your support. Um, in my daytime, I'm the owner of Pendergast Consulting Group, which is a San Francisco-based um, public affairs business, which has been in business for 30 years now, and we spend all of our time working in the construction industry to empower local minority LGBT businesses, and we do share the supervisor's um, desire to improve the project delivery of all projects in San Francisco, whether it's the Van Ness BRT or the DTX, we share your support on that. In the process of assessing this very issue, um, we believe there's a severe lack of economic data. Um, I'd like to enter into record today on behalf of Build Out California 10 specific economic data points we would very much like to see the city of San Francisco um, put forward. We understand that Carmen Chu put out a um, report on Friday. We have not had the chance to look at that. Our esteemed colleague, Ms. Fine, brought up four different companies who were um, probably possibly impacted by this. I would like to challenge the city to go back to those firms, some of which are great friends of Build Out, and ask them specifically, how many LGBT businesses have you currently or in the past brought on your teams, whether they professional services or construction contractors? Let us start with that economic data point and move forward when we start to talk about equity justice. Love that they're a part of HRC, love that they're a part of Equality California, but let's see how many dollars are going to LGBT businesses in A&E construction. Thank you so much. Can you leave it on the banister and I'll pick it up? You leave it right there, I'll come get it. Good morning, Supervisors. My name is Lamar Haystack, President of Asian Inc. Thank you for your service. I want to fully express that I subscribe fully to all of the comments that have been previously raised, especially by Mr. Sterling, Ms. Cervantes, Mr. Kitching, and others, and as well as the comments that you will hear from Mr. Galarza. Asian Inc. is a member of the Coalition for Economic Equity. The Coalition found out about the legislation on Thursday. It was urgent enough for us to meet together Thursday evening to talk about this. It's so important that no one here, not anyone who has spoken previously, has a vested interest in the status quo, because the status quo, as has been pointed out, has not worked for small local businesses. And we're here to change the status quo to make the system work 
for small local businesses. The LBE program, the 14B program, was born out of the Minority Women Business Enterprise Program, which is now our local business enterprise program. There are local businesses, diverse businesses, who are here who just asked to take their rightful place at the table. The City Administrator Carmen Chu commissioned the Economic Recovery Task Force, and many of us did participate in that. You have Ms. Cervantes, who was a part of that task force. And that task force report called for economic recovery through the lifting up of small local business enterprises. There's nothing in that report that says we make it easier for small local business enterprises to achieve recovery by giving more of the work to out-of-state firms in places that we have not done business with. There are folks here who are not because they are putting in bids for city work, the LBE primes who are going to be competing head-to-head -head with those firms. We are now making it much more difficult for those firms to compete for those dollars. And these dollars are what represent values. We vote in our economy with our dollars and cents. I ask that we vote on this based on our values and not sell out to the lowest bidder out of state. Thank you. Supervisors, I clearly believe that this uh, amendment is not ready for prime time. As a member of the uh, San Francisco Latino Builders Association and the Coalition for Economic Equality, I stand united in the principles that were established for 12X. Now it's come to bear and come to light that the author of 12X has clearly said that there are unintended consequences that have developed because of 12X, I would point out that as a member of the community, I'm not an LGBT member, although I don't uh, adhere to abortion. I, I respect the fact that you should have the right to an abortion, and we're thankful that we live in a state where we have tax, uh, we have voting laws that are non-restrictive. However, we should not be selling out our convictions and our principles so that it doesn't cost our pocketbook additional money. We should stand for our convictions. Um, when, as public servants to us, we the people need to have you empower us so that we can have that fairness when it comes to reviewing legislation so that all the people can contribute in making sure that if amendments are to be offered, they're offered through a collective and continued space. It reminds me of a parable from the book of Luke that says that there was an honorable man who said, let me get that, let, let me get that twig out of your eye. But there he stands with a rafter in his eye. He cannot see what's going on around him because he's not associated with those who have the business knowledge and acumen to help him along. Let us, we the people, help you make substantive changes with participation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, there will be no additional people in line in the chamber. We can move to our telephone callers. Um, hello, this is Jasmine Poyallen of Lawyers Committee for uh, Civil Rights in San Francisco again. Um, so I work in the economic justice practice where we strive to close the racial wealth gap by helping entrepreneurs of color and local businesses build wealth for themselves and their communities. 
So based on our mission and in support of the San Francisco Coalition for Economic Equity, I'm calling to oppose the amendment to remove construction agreements from the prohibition on contracting with states with certain types of discriminatory laws. First of all, I disagree that Section 12X hasn't worked as these businesses headquartered in these states still pay taxes in these states that have opposed LGBT rights, reproductive justice, and voting rights. Also, it's telling that there is no proposal to remove Chapter 21 that takes on contracts for goods and services from 12X, but just um, Chapter 6 on contracting, meaning that the city does know that the just thing to do is not to contract with these states uh, for anything um, in, in the 12X purposes. And in terms of uh, LBEs, no data has been provided to show that local and even California businesses are not competitive enough for these contracts. Even if so, the city has declared that small businesses are a significant sector of the local economy and form the backbone of our neighborhoods. So the local business enterprise and a non-discrimination contracting ordinance needed a goal to support local businesses and ensure that they comp can compete and create a level playing field um, in, in the field of contracting. So this proposed amendment directly contradicts this goal by prioritizing lower costs from businesses in outside states. So lastly, contra contracting with states is, um, with these laws is antithetical to SF's values. SF is a leader in LGBT women's voting rights issues uh, and voting rights issues. Don't allow the city's values to be bought by lower costs. Speaker time has Please arrived. refrain from taking action. Thank you. Can we have our next caller, please? Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. Please proceed. Great. David Philpel again. Um, so, I lean towards supporting this legislation, but uh, it suggests to me that a periodic review of all of the city's contracting uh, restrictions uh, would be in order um, whether those, uh, the various contracting restrictions are accomplishing the goals that they were setting out, whether they're unnecessarily, necessarily or unnecessarily restricting uh, city contracts, reducing uh, the contractor pool, increasing the city's costs, broadening or narrowing the restrictions uh, in law, um, adding or reducing factors like social equity, um, and uh, ease of implementation in city departments. We spend a huge amount of time and money on city contracting. The various uh, departments, particularly the Chapter 6 and Chapter 21 departments, but all city departments, plus the city attorney, CMD, controller's office, uh, civil service commission, DHR, HRC, OCA. I mean, we've got a small army of people that deal with um, city contracting, and I'm, and sometimes that achieves more of our goals, and sometimes it doesn't. And so that's why I'm suggesting a broader review and a periodic assessment of those restrictions. Um, to some of the uh, earlier speakers, I'm just wondering if this item and proposal has been to the Small Business Commission uh, and maybe a report from the Office of uh, Economic Analysis um, uh, would be useful. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Uh, that was our last, last public commenter for this matter. Thank you, Mr. Young. And with that, public comment on item six is now closed. Um,
so I want to, uh, before I hand off to um, Supervisor Safai, because there's a few more people we want to hear from, um, I did just want to say that, you know, I, I have worked most of my career in city government, and I have, a, have had a lot of frustrations over the years with the, uh, how cumbersome and expensive um, and, and labyrinthine our contracting and procurement processes can be. And I have been convinced that if San Franciscans had any idea how much money of, that we are waste, of their dollars we are wasting on processes and some of the performative things that we do with our contracting, um, I think they would be furious about it, um, and rightfully so. Um, I also think it's important that we remember what Chapter 12X endeavored to do and why it was first enacted and then why there were amendments to it and that was solely to incentivize states whose laws on LGBTQ plus equality, on voting rights, and on choice were objectionable. And the purpose of this administrative code provision was to incentivize those states to change their laws. And after all the years looking back, here's the, here is the relevant data point. Zero states have changed their policies. We are down to 20 states with which we can contract uh, with businesses. And I, you know, and I also understand that people feel that these are companies are necessarily uh, not sharing our values because they happen to be from a state that is different from ours or whose laws that we find objectionable. But I would remind everybody that, you know, as recently as 10 years ago, California would have been a 12X state, a banned state, because of Proposition 8. Um, in that case, your businesses would be punished for the acts of California voters. And this is, this is personal to me as a gay man, as somebody who's worked on marriage equality going back before Gavin Newsom was issuing marriage licenses to same-sex couples, and I worked in the city attorney's office on that. I was working against the Knight Initiative in 2000. These issues are important to me, and I share the values that motivated 12X, but this law needs to go. It hasn't worked. It is making competitive bidding less competitive, and as our city is facing a $728 million deficit, I think I would rather that our progressive values be reflected in the libraries we're not closing, in the HIV funding that we're able to, to have, um, the nurses that we're not laying off. Um, we're gonna, we are in for a couple of difficult years, and when we make competitive bidding less competitive, when we adopt anti-competitive policies because we're gonna pat ourselves on the back and say that we're doing something about laws that we object to or red states that we don't like, the bottom line is we're just costing taxpayers more money because we're making competitive bidding less competitive and more expensive. So I'm going to support the, the, this. Um, I'm going to support this amendment, this administrative code change, but it's a step in the direction that should repeal 12x altogether. Um, and then I would just also say that I think this is something where we, this, beyond even what what it, the recent things that we have done on contracting, this isn't. Um, the first generation of San Francisco Board of Supervisors to do this. I don't know if people know what the McBride principles, but if you don't are, but if you don't know, you can't do business with the city and county of San Francisco. That is a relic from the 1990s about how uh, Catholics in Northern Ireland are em employed. We have bans on hardwood in I Indonesia, even though decades ago Indonesia stopped exporting hardwood. For a decade in this city, we had a provision in every contract that you couldn't do business with the nation of Burma during a decade period when Burma didn't exist. 
And we still have an equal benefits ordinance that I would say is probably one of the, the one contractual um, element that we had that required things that did move the, the conversation forward on marriage equality. Um, but we should understand that, you know, there was a time back before marriage equality was the law of the land nationwide. 60% um, of the large employers in this nation had domestic partnership benefits. Um, now, since 2015, when the Obergefell decision made marriage equality the law of the United States, domestic partnerships too are a relic. And if you're starting a company today, this is not something people are adopting. What, what does that mean? It means that competitive bidding is getting less and less competitive and more and more expensive for taxpayers. So that's kind of my rant and where I'm coming from, but I do share the values that motivate 12X. But again, I want this reflected in the values that are gonna make sure that we have HIV funding and that we're supporting voting rights here in San Francisco because of how expensive this is making our contracting. So with that, I wanna hand off to Supervisor Safai, or I'm sorry, Supervisor Walton. Thank you so much, Chair Dorsey. I, one of the things I just want to share, I was originally supportive of making some changes to 12X. Uh, you know, I do want our employees to be able to recruit from black colleges. I do want our LGBTQ businesses to be able to survive and support each other across the country. Uh, I do want our minority businesses to benefit from opportunities that may be global but I'm not okay with providing opportunities for businesses and people who continue to discriminate and people who continuously harm our indigenous businesses. The provisions in 12X that protect businesses and quite frankly protect our communities were developed with input from community, with community, and so most certainly we shouldn't be talking about changes to 12X without the benefit of those conversations with the LGBTQ community, with our small business community, with our minority community, because these 12X policy was developed with input from community. And so changes as rapid as this and changes that will most certainly have some detrimental effects and negative consequences should not happen with legislation like in this manner. And that part to me is important. Um, again, there are things in 12X that are quite frankly hampering some of our businesses and some of our communities from being able to thrive in certain ways in certain manners, but opening up the floodgates for corporations is not how we deal with that. Uh, we, we need to come up with some serious thought, have serious conversations, include community about how to address these changes. And so I definitely am not in support of this ordinance and the, the manner that is written, and I won't be in support of any changes or any anything that is going to negatively affect what we want, what we fought for in, in the original intent of 12X. Thank you, Vice Chair Walton, and I want to hand off to uh, Supervisor Safai. Thank you, and uh, thank you for all the comment today. Uh, I want to continue with the departments. We wanted to allow people the opportunity to public comment. Uh, so thank you for waiting. I'm going to call up Bruce uh, Robertson from Public Works to talk um, about the... Chair Dorsey, uh, we had one person jump on to public comment as we were closing it. Do you want to allow that one person only? Hmm? Yeah, just one. Yeah, three of them. 
reopen for this one person only. Uh, Mr. Lamb, can we have this one person? Hi, my name is Dr. Matthew Ajake, President of the San Francisco African American Chamber of Commerce. Um, I'm really glad to hear about uh, the fact that we want the small businesses to be part of the conversation. Uh, right now, you have an ordinance that you're trying to move forward, and we haven't really had a chance to look at the changes that are being proposed. In the interest of um, justice and in the interest of equity, I think it's appropriate to send this back and let the small business community weigh on it and see where it all comes out. Because right now, you have a strong uh, stakeholder group that is not part of the process. And that's not part of the justice and equity that San Francisco is known for. So my, uh, I would uh, recommend that we at least allow the small business community to weigh in on some of the changes that you're <clears throat> planning to make. And this way, whatever changes you do and eventually make, you at least know that you have the participation of all stakeholders. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I believe we can close public comment. Thank you. Public okay. comment is now closed and Supervisor Safai. Yes, Mr. Robertson. Oh, my apologies. Please proceed. Uh, good morning, Supervisors. Bruce Robertson, uh, Chief Financial Officer for Public Works. Um, I'm going to just go through some of the larger contract opportunities that we have coming up in Public Works. We issue about 40 to 45 con construction contracts annually. Most of them are in the one to $5 million range. So these six here that I'm showing are really the largest ones that we have coming up. And it really is illustrative of the portfolio that Public Works provides the city. We have some MTA work, we have some rec and park facilities, as well as some internal Public Works, and then some projects for the ESER bond. So the largest one, as you can see, is the fire training facility at over 200 million. Then we've got some park work, the Trans Bay 3 Park, which is working in collaboration with our partners in OCII, the Hertz Recreation Center um, for recreation and park, and then two paving projects. And then finally, 1399 Marin Street, which is the MTA yard that we recently issued just last week, but thought we would show it here as again, illustrative of the diverse portfolio that Public Works has. Again, just to reiterate, these really are the six largest contracts that we have in the near future that we're gonna issue, but a majority of ours are in the <coughs> one to $5 million range. Um, that's the only slide we did. We only did construction contracts. Happy to answer any questions you may have. Uh, so have you seen, what kind of impact have you seen 12X have uh, in the past in general? Uh, through the Chair, Supervisor Safai, I think the budget and legislative analyst report that came out in October of last year, I think really summed it up well. I think it's hard to quantify in terms of what the costs were, but I think what we have seen is we do certainly see bidders on some of these larger projects that are out of state not responding to opportunities within the department. And I think that's really what we say, why they're not bidding, is it 12X, or is it other reasons, other opportunities in other jurisdictions? I think the budget and legislative analysts really summarize that quite well in their report. Thank you. And uh, we could talk about professional services, but that's, that's fine. Uh, did you have any questions? Okay, thank you, sir. Thank you um, so much. I think the next person we're gonna go to is um, Judy Mosqueda from the airport. I think she's remote, uh, Mr. Clerk. Good, mor good morning, commissioners, or committee members, I'm sorry. 
This is Judy Mosqueda. I'm the Chief Development Officer for San Francisco International Airport. And uh, as I begin with my list, I want to just take a minute to say that airports are unique facilities and we typically require specialized services. We rely on companies across the nation to plan, design, manufacture, and build our facilities here at SFO. And yet with this, we, you know, hearing the comments from the audience, some members who uh, I have personal relationships with and value their, uh, their abilities deeply, we believe strongly in supporting our local businesses here at SFO. And we task our partners to exceed our requirements for local and small business involvement on our projects. But that said, there are uh, specific services that airports require um, and the companies who provide these services often reside in banned states. These specialized services include airport planning and uh, terminal design, fuel system designers, passenger boarding bridge designers, manufacturers and installers, and specialized environmental engineering in particular. Uh, we have been able to function clearly under 12X, but we have found that it um, reduces the competition on our project. We are always looking to seek the most highly qualified firms to help us build our facilities. And it potentially lends to uh, have our, sub our contractors look to subcontract under other entities so that they can still provide those services to SFO. As subcontractors, it drives up the uh, overhead and management costs on the projects. What you'll see on this list ahead of you is um, a combination of both professional services and construction services uh, that we intend to advertise in 2023, just this year. Uh, the list includes approximately 20 contracts for uh, just over a billion dollars worth of projects. I'd be happy to answer any questions you might have. Thank you, Judy, you actually answered my through the chair, you answered my big question, which was how it's impacted and how some of the services that you require uh, come from states that are, you're not able to do business with. So that was my main question. Um, it okay. looks like Mr. Chair has a question as well. Thank you so much, Judy. You raised something that I, I hadn't touched on that was, uh, I guess, another ax to grind I have about some of our contracting practices and policies here in the city, and that is um, that the use of sometimes using more expensive subcontractors to get um, to the contract that someone wants to get. Could you elaborate on that? Because that, that is something else where we are creating not just an, an added burden of public bureaucracy, but private bureaucracy for someone to subcontract, a, perhaps a banned contractor. But could you elaborate on that? Sure. Sure. So we have a few um, entities or companies, service providers from across the country who have performed very successfully for us. And most recently, there was Austin Commercial, who's headquartered in Texas. Austin Commercial uh, participated and built our Harvey Milk Terminal 1 Boarding Area B project. Uh, they joint ventured with WebCore in the building of this project, but it was an extremely uh, successful project and we would love to contract with Austin Commercial again. And so uh, about mid-project, I started talking to them about how can we contract with them again in the future. And I started out with discussions of how about they just move their company. Um, but as we've continued with those conversations over the past probably four-ish years, um, of course that hasn't happened. 
and instead i've looked to pair them up with one of our good local general contractors to see if they could subcontract under a local contractor to deliver our facilities in that case it gives a boost to one of the local general contractors who you know does some of our smaller projects for us but may not have large the either the financial ability to build the large projects or may not have the expertise on terminal projects to deliver them but in the process of subcontracting under others it drives up costs because now we're paying another entity to oversee their work or contract for their work when the subcontractor has you know shown their ability to be very successful did that answer your question it did thank you so much yeah colleagues any further no that 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 was a great okay summary and example Austin was another company that we we had known that I forgot to list out that I know has partnered with Webcor in the past on some of these larger contracting so I'm glad thank you Judy for for bringing that up so mr. chair I just want to reiterate and I really appreciate all the public comment that came out today and I as as Judy said as well I know a lot of the people in the industry just to recall supervisor Walton and I worked for along with the city administrator for significant amount of time to do upgrades and update 14b that was designed to ensure companies that have come that have succeeded in advance and expanded in San Francisco have are able to continue to operate and benefit from 14b that was the whole threshold argument I'm a hundred percent committed to these values that have been stated in so many different ways but I also as supervisor Dorsey said have we have to consider what the original intent of 12x was and is it achieving its goals and then some of the things and many of the things that I heard here today were more about how we can enhance and support and strengthen the work that local LBEs do that that seemed it's it's a different conversation than 12x because tomorrow some of these state legislatures could pass additional laws and instead of 30 states we couldn't do business with it could all of a sudden be 40 it could go up to 50 and the map that was provided by the city administrator was pretty stark and I will tell you as a member of the Transportation Authority the amount of creativity that we have to get into to even be able to purchase light rail vehicles to be able to do some basic services for this city is pretty phenomenal I mean there are a lot of exceptions that are provided in 12x but oftentimes there's not and so it creates a burden for San Francisco but on the in the other vein we've done very well and we can do better and you all pointed it out today we can do better but we've created a pool of contracting professional services that ten million dollar threshold or lower that you get an LBE discount that's a pretty significant discount that's created in the contracting process and makes the LBEs that much more competitive opening up the pool and this is why I thought this would be a benefit for our local LBEs opening up the pool like Austin other companies that I mentioned today they still will be required to and partner with our local businesses these are these larger 
construction professional service contracts that our LBEs are not, they're not bidding on, but they are part of the proposal and they're in design. I can speak from personal experience, formerly being an LBE. I know uh, from my own limited time in that world for a few years, I was, I was able to work with one of a, a larger professional service contracting firm. And I know how difficult it can be in terms of the, when payments uh, are delivered to uh, subcontractors, when notice to stop doing service can be uh, noticed to contract. I mean, these are all, there's so many different difficulties uh, working in this environment. And, and I'm committed to continuing to strengthen and work with our LBEs. But this to me, these reforms today are not about LBEs. This is really about 12X was created to send a message and to try to influence and change the policies in the states with which uh, they operate. This is not a statement of San Francisco values by saying we intend to look at this program. Has it achieved its goals? If it has not, what is it doing in terms of increasing the cost, which take away additional dollars for so many other programs that we're committed to? In fact, even the LBE programs uh, itself. Uh, we produced this legislation and proposed it back in November, um, and so it is just now being scheduled. Uh, and so the, we're happy uh, that uh, we have time. I mean, we'll, there'll be a couple of weeks. This will not be heard at the board next week. We're committed to continuing to sit down with uh, many of the coalition of people that have come here today um, and continue to listen and get feedback and input. So um, um, again, I appreciate everyone coming out here today and believe that this is a, the right step uh, at this moment uh, in San Francisco. Thank you, Supervisor Safai, and I just want to thank the folks who showed up, and I think as often plays out in City Hall, um, you know, sometimes we have, when we have disagreements, sometimes they're values disagreements, and sometimes they're tactical disagreements, and I think this is a tactical one. I think this is more about um, whether, whether 12X is the appropriate place to be helping LBEs. I'm gonna be a champion of small businesses and LBEs in San Francisco. I just feel very strongly that 12X is not what that was intended for, but uh, my door is open to work with you to support our um, businesses. Um, I just, as you know, as I mentioned, as somebody who has managed um, units within city departments and has been very frustrated at many times with um, the difficulty, the onerous processes, and the expense of contracting, um, I felt very, I feel very strongly. I think um, in this situation we have, I don't know that any one, any two of us agree on here. I think I'm gonna support something beyond what Supervisor Safai is proposing and beyond different from what Vice Chair Walton um, believes. So I think it would be appropriate to make a motion to send to the full board without recommendation. I, I can support that. I also want to say before we take that vote, and I've said this to some of the people that have come, I think that you know, there is, there is a legislation that will be introduced that are going to deal with the entire aspect of 12X. My intent today was to try to focus and zero in on a piece that I thought we could all agree on that was a high enough threshold, that was a, 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 a universe that we could begin that would impact these departments in a positive way and then would have a potentially a positive impact on the community, so that that was that was my intent. But I agree, Chair. I think sending it out uh, without recommendation. We have two weeks uh, before we'll be at the full board, and I'm committed to sitting down with as many people and getting feedback 
um, over those next two weeks and listening more. Uh, Vice Chair Walton. Thank you, Chair Dorsey, and thank you, Supervisor Safai. Uh, I definitely understand, um, you know, what you're trying to do and an intent in terms of trying to move this forward without recommendation. I truly believe this does not need to be going to the full board at all at this time. I don't think two weeks is enough time to really have the conversations with community that we need on something uh, and changes that are going to have some definitely unintended negative consequences. So I don't think it should go to the full board at all at this point. Mr. Clerk. I'm yes, on the motion, uh, motion made by Chair Dorsey to refer the matter to the Board of Supervisors without recommendation. Supervisor Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Vice Chair Walton. Walton, no. Chair Dorsey. Aye. Dorsey, aye. The motion passes with uh, Vice Chair Walton dissenting in committee. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. So the uh, on a two to one vote, item six goes to the board without recommendation. Uh, Mr. Chair, Mr. Clerk, is there any further business before this committee? Uh, there are no additional items on our agenda. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. We're now adjourned.